Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. And so here in Daniel 11, you've, you've progressed, Babylon is gone, now you're into the, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, and Daniel is there in the, in the first year of Darius the Mede. Uh, verse 2, it says, Now will I show thee the truth. Behold, there shall stand up yet three kings in Persia. The fourth shall be far richer than they all, and by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Grisha. And a mighty king shall stand up that shall rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when he shall stand up, his kingdom shall be broken and shall be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity, nor according to his dominion which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up even for others beside those. Now, what Daniel's describing here are events that once again you can, you can see fulfilled perfectly in history. He talks there about a mighty king that will stand up and that will rule with great dominion and do according to his will. And when you, when you take this and try and match it up with events in history, what you find is that he's talking there about uh, a man named Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great begins that Greek empire that succeeds the Medo-Persian empire. But it says that, that uh, his kingdom shall be broken. And it says it will be divided toward the four winds of heaven and not to his posterity. When Alexander the Great died, um, he, he didn't have an heir. He didn't have an heir. He, his wife was pregnant, but because the child hadn't been born yet, when he died, uh, the child wasn't considered to be the heir. Um, there, you know, of course, in any kind of situation like that, people start trying to gain enough power to, to kind of take over things. The kingdom wound up being divided into four parts. You have down in Egypt what is the, the Ptolemaic Egypt, the Ptolemaic Empire. Uh, over, over here to the east, you had the Seleucid Empire, Macedon became a, a separate kingdom. And then in Asia Minor, you had what, what was called the kingdom of Pergamon. Now, it, as it says here in the passage, that his kingdom is going to be broken and it's going to be divided toward the four winds of heaven. And so you have Egypt, you have that, that uh, Ptolemaic Egypt in the south, you have the Seleucid Empire to the east, you have Macedon to the west, and you have the, the uh, Pergamon kingdom to the north. That Pergamon kingdom, by the way, uh, the, the city of Pergamum is mentioned in the book of Revelation in those letters to the, the seven churches. One of the letters is addressed to the angel of the church at Pergamum or Pergamos. And Pergamos, it says in that letter that that's where Satan's seat is. Okay, well, if you, if you consider the Seleucid Empire to be the e, you know, it says it's going to be broken to the four winds of heaven. The Seleucid Empire to the east, 
uh, Ptolemy's Egypt in the south, Macedon in the west, and that Pergamon kingdom would be the north. Okay? And the rest of the passage now in Daniel chapter 11, it, it's not going to talk so much about the eastern part of that kingdom or the western part of that kingdom, but it's going to refer repeatedly to the king of the north and the king of the south. Now, uh, those things early in the chapter of Daniel are clearly historical from where we are today. They were still future in Daniel's day, you realize. They were prophetic in Daniel's day. But from where we're at in the timeline today, those things were in, are in the past. And, you know, as you read various commentaries on Daniel 11, uh, you see the, almost all the commentaries agree that in the beginning part of Daniel 11, that's historical from where we're at today. When you start getting into the middle of Daniel 11, then there's some debate. Is it historical? Is it, is it yet future? Um, but but uh, if you, we aren't going to read all the verses down, you know, in the beginning part of the chapter. But uh, there does appear to be several places in the passage where it seems to be kind of bridging these large gaps of time. For instance, if you, um, if you come down to oh, come down to verse, verse 6, or really verse 7. Verse 6 talks about the daughter of the south, okay, which would be the, the daughter of that king of the south. And in verse 7, it says, but out of a branch of her roots shall one stand up in his estate. Well, when it says out of a branch of her roots, it's talking about some, some descendant down the line, there's going to be this person that rises up. So there seems to be a gap in time there. Uh, and, and that very well could be a long gap in time. It could be that some of these things, like from verse 7 down, uh, could be yet future to where we are today. Again, you know, different different uh, people will argue about whether it's in the past or in the future. But when you get down to verse 21, and verse 21 to the end of the chapter is where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. When you get down to verse 21, um, even here there's some debate about whether this is historical or whether it's yet future. In fact, if you have a Schofield reference Bible, uh Schofield has a heading there above verse 21 that says the little horn of Daniel 8, and it, it identifies that as a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, I'll, I'll mention him in a little bit here. But uh, so Schofield says that from verse 21 down to verse 35 is all historical from where we're at today. But we're going to see that from verse 21 down to the end of the chapter, there, there's no change in context. There's one individual that begins to be described in verse 21 that is described all the way down through. And we'll see that just with the few number of verses we looked at already about the Antichrist, that this is that same individual. In, in Daniel chapter 11, verse 21, it says, In his estate, and it's referring to the king of the north, and when it says in his estate, it's that, that word estate means his station or his position. And it's talking about a, a, a king that will rise into that position of the king of the north. 
It says, In his estate shall stand up a vile person, to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in peaceably and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Realize that the kingdom that the Antichrist is going to receive, he's not going to get it by raising a big big army and conquering. Okay, there's going to come a point, we'll see in this passage, where he conquers other nations. But where he originally comes to power is not through military might. It's, if anything, it's through diplomacy. It refers to it here as flatteries. He's going to obtain the kingdom by flatteries. In verse 22, it says, With the arms of a flood shall they be overflown from before him and shall be broken, yea, also the prince of the covenant. Now, um, it's interesting that if you compare this with a passage we looked at in a previous lesson, um, in the, uh, the prophecy of the 70 weeks that's given to Daniel, when he begins to talk about that prince that shall come, and he talks about uh, the, the sanctuary being destroyed. He says, the end thereof shall be with a flood. And here as well, it describes the, the arms of a flood. With the arms of a flood shall they be overflown from before him. And it says, yea, also the prince of the covenant. Now, the, co- the only covenant that's in view here is the covenant that God has with Israel. Here you see him even coming to have control over Israel itself. Now, if you look at other passages about the Antichrist, it, uh, it appears clear that the Antichrist himself is an Israelite. Okay, He is somebody who is descended from Jacob. He's also referred to in some passage, passages as an Assyrian. And you realize, just like you can have American Jews and, and, you know, Jews from countries all over the world, Russian Jews, German Jews, Polish Jews, uh, it appears likely that the Antichrist will be an Assyrian Jew. And, and you see here, even the prince of the covenant, even the leader of Israel, is going to uh, succumb to this, this man, this king of the north. By the way, the king of the north... Um, some, some prophecy teachers interpret that as being Russia. And it's true, certainly, that Russia is up here to the north of Israel. But uh, in the context, in the context of the passage here, the king of the north is the king of that, that northern part of the, the divisions of the Greek Empire. Okay, not, not up in Russia, but, but rather still down in that that uh, Middle Eastern area. And um, the, as, I, as I mentioned previously, you know, a lot of times people, people try and interpret these prophecies in light of the events that are going on in their day. And, you know, of course, during the, during the Cold War, many passages, many prophetic pra- passages were read to be in reference to Russia. Now, there are some prophetic passages that seem pretty, pretty clearly to refer to Russia. But uh, interpreting the king of the north, you know, that, that was something that people did because they saw this great power up, up you know, far to the north of Israel. And they... They interpreted the king of the north as that. But the king of the north here in this passage is not referring, again, it's not referring to somebody coming out of Russia. It's not referring to somebody coming out of, out of Europe. So, so you see in verse 23, let's continue on there. 
It says, after the league made with him, he shall work deceitfully. For he shall come up and shall become strong with a small people. He shall enter peaceably even upon the fattest places of the province. And he shall do that which his fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among them the prey and spoil and riches. Yea, and he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. Now, it describes him coming into the fattest places of the province. That would be the most productive areas. And he comes in and it says he's going to do something that his fathers didn't do. In that he's going to take the spoil. You know, when you conquer an enemy, there's a spoil of the enemy. And rather than keeping that for himself, he's going to scatter it among them. He's going to, uh, take, you know, instead of, instead of plundering these conquered territories, he's going to distribute the, the, uh, the spoils of the battle among them. And because his goal is not just to enrich himself. You know, a lot of times a conqueror goes out because he personally wants to have power. He personally wants to have wealth. And so he gathers those things to himself. But that's not the intent of this man. That's not the intent of this individual. He goes out and he wants to gain, he wants to gain even more influence and more power. And so he takes the the spoils and he distributes it. He scatters among them the prey and the spoil and the riches. Verse 25 says, He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall forecast devices against him. Now the king of the south would be down here in Egypt. By the way, when it talks about these kings, they're not necessarily, that that doesn't require that these countries be monarchies or or anything like that. A king is a, you know, even in, in most monarchies, the king is the executive branch of the government. Okay, so in Bible terminology, a president could be referred to as a king. Um, a prime minister could be referred to as a king in the, in the Bible terminology. But you, you see that this, you know, this Antichrist, when he comes to power, it's not as if he just shows up and immediately has all this power. There are battles and things that lead up to that. You see a struggle here between the king of the north and the king of the south. And uh, in, in verse 26, it says of the king of the south, that they that feed of the portion of his meat shall destroy him, and his army shall overflow, and many shall fall down slain. Now those that feed of the portion of the king's meat are his own, you know, his bureaucrats, his, his own government. And you see that his, the, the king of the south down there in Egypt, his own government is going to turn against him. Uh, allowing the king of the north to take over and, and, uh, and take control. Verse 27 says, Both these kings' hearts shall be to do mischief. They shall speak lies at one table, but it shall not prosper, for yet the end shall be at the time appointed. And so they, they come together and make some kind of agreement, but they're both trying to stab each other in the back. They're both speaking lies at that same table. Verse 28 says, Then he shall return into his land with great riches. And verse 28 says that his heart shall be against the holy covenant 
and he shall do exploits and return to his own land. Now, when it says that his heart shall be against the holy covenant, again, the covenant here is God's covenant with Israel. Uh, a covenant between men, you know, there's, there's agreements and treaties that are talked about in this passage, but those are not holy covenants. He comes back into the land and he has this this. Uh, attitude of opposition against the Holy Covenant. And of course, what, what you see in uh, these various passages about the Antichrist is that in the middle of that tribulation period, while in the beginning he allows some renewed worship at the Temple Mount and, and those kinds of things, in the middle of that tribulation period, he's going to cut off the sacrifice and the oblation. And in the middle of that, that uh, period is where he as God is going to sit in the temple of God. Uh, now, now again, it describes some of these continued struggles that take place. But I want you to, to uh, skip down to verse, well, come to verse 31 for right now. It says, arms shall stand on his part and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. Now, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Dr. Schofield in his Bible has a note that this whole passage is talking about a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, Antiochus was a ruler in the second century BC, okay, so so hundred and some years before Christ. And it's true that he did one of the things that he was known to do was he sacrificed a pig on the altar in the temple in Jerusalem. Now if you can imagine what a what an affront that would be to to Jewish sensibilities to sacrifice a pig on their altar. Um, that was a, a great offense that Antiochus Performed, but you see how it mentions the abomination that maketh desolate. Now, Christ talked about the abomination of desolation that was spoken of by Daniel. And he talked about that as a future event from his days, not something that had happened a hundred years previously with, with Antiochus Epiphanes. Christ talked about that as something yet future to his day. And, and so this can't be talking about Antiochus. This is talking about something that was future to Christ's day and even future to our day when the abomination of desolation is set up. That again is something that takes place halfway through that tribulation period. Verse 32 says, Such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. They that understand among the people shall instruct many, yet they shall fall by the sword and by flame, by captivity, by spoil, many days. Now when they shall fall, they shall be holpen with a little help, but many shall cleave to them with flatteries, and some of them of understanding shall fall to try them and to purge and to make them white, even to the time of the end, because it is yet for a time appointed. And you see how it describes there the believing remnant during that period of time, how, how uh, they will, will be faithful to God. They're going to do exploits of their own, and yet there's going to be this 
persecution against them. It talks about how many will cleave to them with flatteries. You know, if you read those letters to the seven, seven churches in the beginning of the book of Revelation, two of the letters mention those who, are say they, who say they are Jews and are not. And they're trying to join themselves to those, those believing Israelites and claiming that they're Jews, but, but it says they're of the synagogue of Satan. They're deceivers. They're just trying to, trying to, like it says here, cleave to them with flatteries. And so there's going to be opposition from without. There's going to be opposition from within as these people try to, try to come in and, and uh, stir up trouble within. And these believers, it's going to be that time of, of great tribulation. And verse 36, you see, even though many, many prophecy teachers treat it like verse 35 is talking about something that's in the past and verse 36 is in the future, you see there's no indication of that in the text. Verse 36 says, and the king shall do according to his will. There's nothing to indicate it's talking about any other king than the king it's been talking about all along through this passage. The king shall do according to his will. He Now notice, he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For then that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard, regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. What did it say in Second Thessalonians 2? He as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. But notice verse 38. It says, but in his estate, in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not, shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. You notice on the one hand, he recognizes no God, and he magnifies himself above all the gods, but in private, he has a God that he worships that it calls here a strange God, and that's the devil himself. That's the dragon in Revelation that gives him his power. And so, while to everyone else he presents himself as being God uh, in private, he honors and worships the devil. And uh, it, again, describes some of, the, some of the struggles that occur at no time during that Antichrist reign. You know, it describes how all the world is going to worship him and, and he's got this power over all the world. That doesn't mean there aren't little, you know, localized skirmishes and, and things as certain people uh, and certain kings try to, try to raise themselves to power. And it describes some of those things that, that take place. But uh, notice in verse 41... It says, he shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. Now, Edom and Moab, modern-day Jordan, the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan, that's over on, on the east side of the uh, Jordan River, that's 
that's the area today uh, where these countries would be. And it's interesting that it says that these will escape out of his hand. Because, you know, the scripture describes how God is going to provide for that believing remnant. He's going to provide a place in the wilderness where they're going to be provided for. It's, it's interesting as well that, that uh, traditionally many people have associated uh, this, this place of refuge in the wilderness that God's going to provide with uh, a place called Petra. Petra is a city that's carved out of rock. That's not, you know, that's not quarried stone built up. They just carved it in place out of, out of the rock. And there's many buildings like that in, in that place of Petra. That's one place that people have identified that might be the place where God will provide for, for that remnant in the wilderness, which is in that area that's described here as the place that, that uh, it says... Um, shall escape out of the hand of the Antichrist. And so there are some places where there is a, a place of refuge. Now, uh, some people, I know there's, there's one group, I don't know if they're still in operation, but there was a group that was raising money to put like, like stores of food in Petra for that remnant to go through the tribulation. And, you know, okay, maybe their, their heart's in the right place, but... Uh, uh, God doesn't need your help to feed the remnant in the wilderness. God's people were in the wilderness before, and you remember how he fed them. He fed them with manna from heaven, right? And manna from heaven is probably better than some 20-year-old stored food, that, or 50- or 100-year-old stored food that some people left there. But, um, and, and it's not certain that Petra would be the place, uh, but it's just interesting that, you know, that's all in that that area there that it says will escape out of his hand. And, and so you see, this passage in Daniel gives you really a lot of detailed information about the, the, the career of the Antichrist and what countries fight against him and, and those kinds of things. And you, you get a picture of who that man is. Now, again, there's many other passages we could go to in Revelation and, and other places that describe this man. But uh, I think you get a, a picture and an overview of some of the things that are going to take place with this man that's called the Antichrist. And uh, keep in mind that just as, as John said, what John said there in the first century is just as true today. As you've heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists. There are many Antichrists that, that uh, set themselves up in place of the true uh, Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, we saw there in, in Thessalonians what's going to be the end of that man, the Antichrist. Uh, he is one of the first cast into the lake of fire in the book of Revelation. And that man, the Antichrist, is destroyed with the brightness of Christ's coming. His kingdom lasts until Christ comes. And in that image that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw, the kingdom of the Antichrist are those feet of iron and clay. And you remember how there was a stone cut without hands that struck the image on the feet and it crumbled. And the image fell over. And that's a picture of the second coming of Christ and how he will bring to an end the reign of this man of sin, this, this wicked, this son of perdition. And let's close there with a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this 
warning and instruction from your word. We, we pray that we would be mindful of those today that, that uh, set themselves as antichrists. And uh, we, we thank you as well that we live today in this dispensation of grace and, and we can see from your word that these are things that uh, are going to take place after this present dispensation ends. And, and uh, we just, just thank you for the, the clarity that you give. We thank you for these prophetic passages that, that uh, spell out what is going to happen on the earth and what you are going to do on the earth. And we just thank you for the hope that that gives us, that we know that the, the end is already determined. And uh, we just, just thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Thank you for his sacrifice on our behalf and his blood that was shed for us. And it's in his name we pray. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.